I'm Talib Vizram and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we're taking a look at how a couple of startups are improving telehealth and TV streaming. Then we'll hear about some self-care products that also benefit the environment. This is your Fast Break. When the pandemic hit, healthcare changed pretty dramatically. Suddenly, it was unsafe for both personnel and patients to have in-person visits. With me now is Dr. Jeremy Gabrish, founder and CEO of Remedy, to discuss how his company is at the forefront of this shift. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gabrish. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So the concept of telemedicine is still relatively new. So can you give us an overview of what virtual care entails? I sure can. You know, with virtual care, Talib, you can speak to a physician from virtually anywhere. You can be in your home, you can be in an office, you can be on vacation. Um, And with electronic records, largely cloud-based these days, the physician can get into your health record and listen to your symptoms, see you, and make a very good diagnosis just by using the camera on your device. You know, at Remedy, for example, we actually go even beyond telemedicine to come to people's homes. So we extend virtual care to include, you know, at-home visits as well. So it's a sort of a hybrid form of healthcare that leverages the benefit of virtual care, but also uses some traditional components of in-person care in the form of, of a house call. Can you explain what a neighbor doctor is and what a typical house call would look like? Yeah, the idea of a neighbor doctor really came from just my experience as a physician over the years that people really crave a a trusted resource in healthcare to ask questions to. So this would happen to me when I'd be standing in my front yard. I'd have a neighbor ask me, hey, what do you think about this new test that's out? Or, you know, what do you think about these recommendations that just came out? And, you know, I get text messages frequently from friends and family who will ask me, hey, do you think I should go to the ER for this? And I think the point, Talib, is that people just, they really want that kind of access to someone that they trust in the healthcare system, someone that they feel like they can reach out to and say, hey, what do I do here? You know, that's what we've tried to really recreate with Remedy. We wanted to create an access point where people could connect with us and say, you know, hey, I'm not sure what to do here. Can you guide me to the right solution? And as I've said, a lot of the time, that solution is a virtual encounter. It's a, hey, let's just get on video and see if we can resolve this issue. And in the event that you need something else, then we can graduate that to something else, like a house call, for example. This is something where, like, say you have a wound and you think maybe this needs stitches. Well, you get on the virtual encounter And the clinician says, you know what, that actually does need stitches. Well, in the traditional telehealth model, you're kind of stuck, right? I mean, now you have to start over, go to an urgent care, go somewhere else. But with Remedy, we'll dispatch a house call to you. We'll send someone to your home that will do those stitches right there. So, you know, aside from the socially distant visits, how else can virtual care help patients and providers, you know, solely online? Well, one thing that we see is that virtual care really improves continuity of care. So people might, you know, not go to their doctor as often as they should, but if we make it easier for them, then they're going to connect with their doctor on a more regular basis. You know, the other thing is think about new technologies like wearables, you know, things like Apple watches and and these kinds of uh, devices that are becoming, you know, increasingly ubiquitous. 
with people wearing these things and connecting that to the virtual care provided through video visits and what we call asynchronous or you know chat, just chatting back and forth messages with your provider. These are all ways that connect the patient and provider better. So there's, a, there's an enhanced doctor-patient relationship. And that's going to mean better care for people in the long run. And we're actually going to see better outcomes as we see you know, more and more connectivity between a patient's care and things like a continuous glucose monitor that a diabetic is wearing. And this information is being uploaded you know, to the doctor uh, using technology. And over the long term, what we're going to see is we're actually going to be able to manage patients better and patients are going to be more connected with their clinician. So, Jeremy, how has the pandemic affected Remedy and the way that your team has approached treating patients? Well, the one thing I always say is that, you know, we were sort of flattening the curve before there was a curve to be flattened. So the reason I say that is, you know, we've provided care outside of the four walls of a traditional clinic from our beginning. That's what we did. We did virtual care. We did at-home care. And so when the pandemic started, there wasn't much of a pivot for us to do. It was already what we were doing. Now, the demand for what we did increased dramatically. For example, our business is up about a thousand percent compared to this time last year. So, you know, obviously what we do is in high demand now. People don't want to go out you know, they're scared to go sit in a waiting room where they might get infected by someone else, or if they themselves might be infected, they don't want to give it to someone else. So, you know, this type of model is very attractive in this type of scenario. The other thing is we didn't have drive-through options before the pandemic. We would typically send people to the home to test, which we do still do that as well. But the pandemic kind of forced us to ask the question, what's the best way to efficiently see and test a lot of people if we need to? And, you know, the drive-through idea was something that fit very well with our approach to healthcare in general, which is, you know, what's the easiest, simplest way to get the patient the information that they need? And in this case, people are wanting to know, do I have COVID? And so a video visit combined with a drive-through visit is a way remedy has really operationalized that and made it possible for people to get that. Let's talk a little bit about your background. You've worked as an ER physician and as the chief medical officer at a teaching hospital in Ethiopia. How did those experiences inspire you to start Remedy? Well, working in Ethiopia, you know, the one thing that uh, I was constantly confronted with was a lack of resources. And, you know, I had come from the emergency room in the West where it's the most expensive place to get care in the world. You have every diagnostic tool at your fingertips. And then now suddenly I was forced to deliver care with much less. But what we learned through that experience is that it is possible to deliver really great medical care even when you don't have a lot of resources. And with our team at our hospital in Ethiopia, we delivered great care and had amazing outcomes all the time with not a lot of resources. So when I came back to the US, basically I was looking at healthcare here and it's access is such a problem and people end up in the emergency room for a lot of things that shouldn't land them there. There are things that should be taken care of with far fewer resources. By creating Remedy, we created a way for people to get access to that kind of care at a much lower cost point and frankly, a much more convenient way. Well, you mentioned that while you worked in the ER, you noticed that many patients would have been better off 
at an urgent care clinic or at a primary care office. So why do they tend to go to the ER? And is there some kind of sustainable solution to making sure patients are routed to the right facilities? You know, this is a real problem in our healthcare systems, Olive. I mean, we've given people lots of options, even by introducing more telemedicine and, and things like urgent cares. But yet people are still confused as to which option they should use. Right. And, and then, you know, sometimes they maybe have had experiences with their primary care doctor where they couldn't get in the same day or it's after hours and weekends. Sometimes we see people use the emergency room just because it's closer to them. You know, so they, they don't want to, to drive further to go somewhere. So, you know, this is an issue that is clearly a problem across our entire healthcare system of people not choosing the correct option. It's one of the reasons why at Remedy, we talk a lot about being a guide for patients and, and how can we help patients and guide them to the best solution. So lastly, I wonder if we could get some pearls of wisdom from you, you know, for other people who are in the medical field, but also consider themselves entrepreneurs. What's your advice for them in combining those two interests? Yeah, I think you find a lot of medical people are entrepreneurial, you know, especially as an ER doctor myself, I find ER docs to be particularly entrepreneurial. You know, there is a component of risk taking in being an entrepreneur, right? I mean, you see a problem, you want to solve it. So you create a company or with an idea that's going to solve that problem. I mean, that, that ultimately is what it is. And I, I'm a big risk taker. I think a lot of doctors are, you know, it's what drove me to go to Africa. It's what drove me to start Remedy. I want to solve big problems. And I think a lot of people in healthcare want to solve big problems too. When you have an idea and you have a way to solve those problems, you know, looking for something that delights patients, provides better care, and is scalable and can be replicated on a larger scale, you know, that's what we've tried to do with Remedy. And I think that's what we need more of in healthcare. We need more of that kind of innovation. Sure. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Jeremy. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Over the past few months, people have gotten creative with their stay-at-home activities. Some have tried their hand at bread baking or writing that book they'd always meant to get to, while other ambitious types have decided to pick up where they left off with their high school French. But in reality, the main quarantine activity for many people is watching TV. Streaming services continue to pop up, like NBC Universal's Peacock last week. They all offer so many options and they've become overwhelming to manage. Here with me to explain some new apps that promise to help manage the madness is Fast Company tech writer Jared Newman. Welcome to the show, Jared. Uh, thanks for having me, Talib. So since the beginning of the pandemic, streaming has surged. How do these apps play a part in all that? Well, they're kind of providing what everybody really wants, right? Which is instead of you know, I want to see comedies, so I go into Netflix and see what comedies are there, and then go into Amazon Prime and see what comedies are there, and then go into Hulu and yada yada. They give you one app that basically aggregates all of these sources of content, and then you can browse and you can create a watch list, and it's basically just one menu. So, you know, think back to cable, they'd give you that grid guide that sort of aggregated hundreds of TV channels. We don't really have that today on, you know, Roku players or Fire TV devices. There isn't really that one guide that covers everything. So these companies are essentially providing that as their own third-party apps. 
just to get a feeling of the popularity of these apps, what are some of the numbers that these apps are seeing at the moment? So according to David Croyer, who is Just Watch's founder and CEO, he says that uh, they're up to about 20 million monthly active users worldwide, and about half of those are in the United States. They had about 10 million active users back in December. Then they saw this huge spike to about 30 million at the start of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. It sort of cooled off a bit, uh-huh. but you can still see, you know, as people are streaming more, there's just more demand for these kind of services. A real good has 5 million monthly active users in the United States as well. Uh-huh. So we're looking at probably 25 million people that are relying on these services to kind of make sense of streaming. You know, it could be just talk, but the founder of Just Watch is hoping that someday they can essentially be 10 times larger than they are. So looking at 200 to 300 million users per month. Wow. Well, you know, as you mentioned, more people are now getting into streaming. So Real Good and Just Watch are no longer just for the hardcore nerds. How are they succeeding where larger companies are not? Yeah, it's really interesting. That's the thing that's made these companies so fascinating to me because I've been following uh, the streaming world for a long time, and I've always kind of like wanted this kind of experience. And my assumption was always, you know, that there was, there's just no way, like none of these streaming providers are really ever going to let their content be aggregated this way. And then it turns out that these companies have just done it themselves. They've figured it out. I, I do think it's a tricky question of why you don't see that as much on, say, a Roku device or a Fire TV device. I think... Partly it's politics a bit, you know, a lot of these streaming devices, the businesses around things like ad supported streaming, or maybe, you know, pay to play kind of partnerships that promote certain content. So it's kind of hard to shift to this model where you're essentially giving users a neutral interface that they can customize and just objectively goes through all of the content. We see uh, Apple TV, they have probably come the closest. They have an app on Apple TV, which is called Apple TV, confusingly enough. (laughs) But it's essentially a guide to different streaming services where you can browse and have a watch list. And it doesn't aggregate content from Netflix. They have most of the other companies on board. But you still see some of that. Like I think Netflix is more powerful than most streaming companies and they really want you to be inside of their app. But, you know, we haven't really seen Roku or Amazon try to build that experience. I think Real Good and Just Watch, they benefit a bit from flying under the radar and not really having to worry about making deals with all these companies. They've actually built some pretty sophisticated technology to kind of scrape through all the different catalogs and figure out what they have and how to find them. And so it's just a really interesting thing that they've put together. And how can Real Good and Just Watch expand their reach? So we started to see them do this really interesting thing, which is they used to be available basically on the web and on mobile phones. And now what we're starting to see is they're releasing apps for television, streaming TV devices as well. So if you have a Fire TV stick, for instance, you can download the Just Watch app or the Real Good app. And then when you launch that, it'll basically be like a secondary menu to all of that content. And let's say you pick a, a movie that's on Netflix, it will just take you directly into Netflix directly to that listing page where you can start watching. So it basically sorts through everything for you. And if you were to use the mobile app or the website, you would be able to create a watch list, things you want to see, and that would sync over to the TV version. So you kind of have this like cross-platform experience where you're managing all the stuff you want to watch. Real Good says they really want to have partnerships with say smart TV makers and streaming device makers to preload their software or maybe use them as sort of the, the default interface for their streaming devices. 
And I think Just Watch has started talking about doing some of that stuff as well. So that'll get really interesting as just sort of competition to whatever Roku and Amazon and Apple are doing. Sure. So, so far, they both seem quite similar to one another. How can customers tell the two apart? Yeah, I, I kind of lean towards real good right now in terms of like the overall polish of the experience. Their apps just seem a bit slicker. Uh-huh. They have some e- interesting ways to, to sort through things. Like they have a way to see what's leaving Netflix or what's leaving Hulu. So you, know, you run into that frustration where your favorite show is going to be gone in a, a week or a month and you can sort of plan ahead and binge watch that show before it's gone. So they just they're doing a little better with that. They also have this pretty neat tie-in with, it's not official, but if you use their mobile app with a Roku device, you can actually choose what you want to watch on your phone and send it to the Roku. So you use your phone essentially as the remote. But Just Watch says they want to sort of catch up and do some of that design improvement that Real Good is already doing. And they also want to tie in more content. So I think we're going to see a lot more sports get unbundled from cable next few years. And I think both of them want to be able to sort of index that sports content as well. And Real Good is talking about aggregating content from YouTube as well. So they really are trying to sort of fashion themselves as this, you know, all-in-one guide for everything you might want to watch on TV. Yeah. And their backgrounds seem quite different as well. One of them has a more traditional tech background. Is that right? Yeah, I I would say that the main thing that is different from them behind the scenes is sort of their business models. Just Watch, most of their revenue comes from essentially gathering information about users' viewing habits and then targeting them for movie trailers, relevant movie trailers on YouTube and Facebook. Whereas Real Good is doing more of this data licensing business. TiVo actually released a streaming device called the Stream 4K, and they built their own menu for you know, sorting through all these streaming sources, and Real Good actually provides the data for that. And then there's other businesses that might just sort of be interested in knowing what people are watching, what's popular, what's on different services. And so they're also kind of turning themselves into this Nielsen of sorts for the streaming era. And Just Watch says they want to get into that kind of stuff as well, but I think Real Good's a bit farther along. Sure. So what can we expect to see from them in the future? I'm hoping that we'll see them have more of a front-facing role on our streaming devices. I'd really just like to see them encourage the likes of Roku and Fire TV to kind of do more to aggregate content and not make people jump in and out of apps so much. So, you know, if they can get themselves onto smart TVs and other streaming boxes and have themselves be the default interface, that might kind of make people realize that there is a better way to watch streaming TV. Well, it's definitely a leap from the old school TV guide. (laughs) that's for sure i I, you know i hope that we end up in a better place it's it's a bit confusing now but when i use these things i'm like this really is how it should work so i hope that's what happens have you checked out peacock yet i have a little bit i was messing around with it i was taking the android version and loading it on a fire tv and actually noticed that just watch has just started aggregating content from peacock as well and i assume that real good is going to be not that far behind wow that was quick (laughs) Well, Jared, it was great having you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Because of the pandemic, sustainability has been put on the back burner. But many brands are still making products that make our lives better without polluting the planet. Here is Fast Company staff writer Liz Seagrin with some of her favorite eco-friendly brands that are getting her through this strange summer. You may have spotted your favorite celebrities on Instagram wearing colorful, trendy sweatsuits. 
as they're stuck at home during this quarantine. They were probably wearing Pangaea, an eco-friendly brand that launched a few years ago and that has quickly developed a cult following among people like Leonardo DiCaprio and Pharrell and Kristen Bell. The brand uses a lot of innovative techniques to make very sustainable clothing. They use materials like recycled cotton and seaweed fibers to make really comfortable t-shirts and sweatsuits and hoodies. And instead of using toxic dyes, they use dyes derived from plants and vegetables and even green tea. For the summer, they have launched comfy shorts and t-shirts that I love. They are perfect for working from home when you don't have to look presentable in front of your colleagues. So if you're looking for new gear to wear while stuck at home, definitely give Pangaea a look. During the hot summer months, there is nothing worse than waking up in a puddle of sweat. And that's why I love Buffy. It is a brand that makes sheets and bedding that is perfectly designed for the hot summer months. And as a bonus, everything that they make uses eco-friendly materials. The brand makes sheets out of eucalyptus fibers since eucalyptus uses a lot less water than cotton. And in its duvets, it uses recycled plastic instead of down. What I love about Buffy is that it has a whole line of products that are specifically designed for the summer months. They have a duvet that is just the right amount of warmth for the summer so that you can still stay wrapped up and cozy without getting too hot. As we slowly start going outside for socially distanced picnics and barbecues with friends, we need to stay hydrated. And the most sustainable alternative there is to bring your refillable water bottle with you. But if you need something disposable, I definitely recommend that you check out a new brand called Heart Water. Heart Water is extremely conscious about its effects on the planet through every stage of its process. Instead of using groundwater that takes water from local communities, it collects its own rainwater. And instead of using plastic bottles, it uses aluminum bottles, which are much easier to recycle and are biodegradable. And if you decide to buy a six pack of cans, the ring that comes on the top that usually keeps a six pack together is made from biodegradable materials instead of plastic. So you can just throw that in your compost bin and it will disappear in a matter of days. I know that I'm really stressed out right now and it's easy for me to forget about sustainability in the midst of this crisis, but I like thinking that little choices that we make can have a big impact on the planet. That's it for this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Bizran.